What are the most addictive type of relationships? That is something we're going to riff on today. I can't wait to dive into it. And it's such a fascinating topic because some of the smartest people in the world find themselves trapped in this dysfunctional dynamic where they would probably tell anybody else in their right mind, you know what, this probably isn't the thing for you. You might want to think about exiting this situation. But when it comes to ourselves, it's like we have a scotoma. We can see into other people, but a light can't shine on itself. And so we get so confused and frustrated and we're like, why can't I get out of that thing? Why can't I leave? Why do I keep getting sucked back in? And that is kind of the very definition of addiction, isn't it? I mean, it's doing something when you know damn well, there's negative consequences attached to the thing that you're doing, but you can't stop yourself from doing the damn thing. So that's what addiction is. Let me grab this squeaky toy from my dog because that's annoying, okay? If you couldn't hear it in the microphone on the podcast, Oh my God, there's a little morning ASMR for you. It's a llama drama. It's a little baby llama. Okay, welcome back, by the way, to another episode and welcome home if you're if you're returning. I'm so glad you're here to Addiction and Codependency Breakthrough with me, Heidi Rain. Dedicated my whole life to serving the most underserved population and that is the people that are impacted by another's addiction whether you grew up in that scenario and you thought you'd escaped, but here you are attracting similar relationship vibes, feels and other, and other relationships. Or if you had, you had a great life growing up and all of a sudden you find yourself in a relationship with somebody who's an addict or an alcoholic or a substance use disorder, or just a damn dysfunctional and your train hold into dysfunction junction and honey, you didn't sign up for that train. And you're like, how do, how do I get off of this runaway train a dysfunction junction? So first of all, let's talk about what makes something so addictive. You know, when the pandemic hit, I was like, first of all, it was a little bit of a dream come true. I know that's going to be very controversial to say that, but for an extroverted introvert, which I'm like right in the middle, I was like, oh man, I don't have to make up reasons when I make plans and then I cancel the plans, I won't even have to worry about that anymore because I don't have to make plans. Yay. You know, I was like, nobody's expecting me to do anything. So I was in my little hermit hole. And one of the things that I like to do the most when I'm inside of my little hermit hole is pursue education. I am like a self-development junkie sorts. And so, you know, you can go on these different websites and take actual classes at Yale or Harvard or Princeton or Wharton School of Business for free or for a nominal fee. And so I did a bunch of that, took some classes at Wharton and some Princeton. And anyway, one of the classes that I loved the most was this psychology class. And they were talking a little bit about uh, what makes something so addictive and in human psychology. And what it is, is I want you to think of um, gambling for a minute. All right. So you remember those big giant slot machines, right? And so you, you, you know, you can picture like an old seventies casino. Casino was one of my favorite movies of all time, by the way, if you haven't seen it, you, you have to see that it's epic, but you go into a casino and you park your little bottom and you're in your seventies and you're smoking your cigarettes and you have your casino girls coming around with your drinks. Anyway, you park your bottom down and you pull the lever and what happens? You know, you might feel like, man, I'm going to get so lucky. And you get seven, seven, 
seven, you know, and it hits the jackpot. And that is like the holy grail of feelings when that thing hits the jackpot. But that's really not what happens, right? What happens is you pull that stupid lever and you get super hopeful and you get seven, seven, jack, right? And you're like, oh, I was so close. I was so close. Or another machine to think about is I took my daughter roller skating not too long ago to a place where I grew up in this old small town in Pennsylvania, right on the border of West Virginia. And this roller rink has one of those machines with the claw, you know, and you put the dollar in and it's, it's robbery is what it is. It's straight up thievery, but you put the dollar in and the crane maneuvers over and it drops a little claw hand down. It sucks up the toy. But the thing is, we and I know damn well, that toy ain't coming up with that giant claw. That toy is heavier than that damn claw. That damn claw made out of made out of something like i don't even know what it is not it is not steel when we think it is okay um it's like there's no way but it gives you this feeling of like so close oh my gosh and i have to talk elevie off the ledge whenever she's like obsessed with this damn machine that she thinks the next time she puts her dollar in she's going to get the claw just like the next time we feed the quarter into the slot machine we're going to get the big win what Princeton, they were kind of explaining this phenomenon of intermittent reward. An intermittent reward is one of the most addictive dynamics on the planet. Think about it for a minute. If you sat down to that slot machine or the pulley claw machine, and every time you pulled the lever down, you won something. It'd be exciting for a little while, sure. But after a while, you'd get kind of bored, wouldn't you? You'd be like, all right, well, that's enough of that. I guess I got my little toys here. I won the jackpot. I mean, Yes, you could keep winning the jackpots. Maybe that's a terrible example, but even with the claw, I mean, how many stuffies can you win? How many little stupid balls with a math face on it can you score, you know? So after a while you get bored. And just like if you pull that slot machine and you lose and lose and lose, you're going to get your little butt up too, because you're going to be like, I, I'm never going to win. And I know that now because I have evidence accrued, accrued that, I, you know, this thing's a stinker and I'm not going to win. That's not what happens. Every now and again, it gives you the reward. An intermittent reward becomes that addictive loop that we get stuck in. So how does this compute to relationships? How does this cross over? Well, I want you to think about the dynamic that you're in. And I want you to ask yourself just right off the rip, is there an element of intermittent reward in your relationship dynamic? I remember when I was growing up, I had a Jekyll and Hyde type of relationship with one of my parents, and I never really knew if she loved me or hated me or what kind of day it was going to be. And I would come home and kind of gauge her mood and see where she was going to be. And she had a lot of her own issues, God bless, of course, that she was dealing with. But I did what all little kids do, and I internalized it and made it about me. And I equated coming home to her, like pulling that little lever down. And maybe if I clean the house today, I'm going to get the jackpot. Or maybe if I say the right thing, I'm going to be in her good graces. Or maybe if I... So I never knew when I pulled the lever down and attempted to love her, if that was going to be the jackpot, or I was going to come up with nothing. And so we don't equate those types of relationships of intermittent reward and how that foundation gets laid into our programming about the type of relationships we then seek out as adults. Maybe you had a similar situation growing up where you had a parent that was absent and sometimes they'd show up and other times you'd be left stranded, but that intermittent reward kept you coming back. 
Now, some of the things I'm going to talk about right now are the way I describe these pattern interactions with people. And, you know, I founded the Codependency Institute because I wanted a safe space where people could come get sane, you know, and get strategy for dealing with difficult, toxic, dysfunctional people in their lives. And at the Codependency Institute, one of the things that I'm most proud of is developing my codependent attachment personality pattern tests. And these attachment patterns, I don't want you to think of, yeah, I know we're familiar with attachment styles and, but attachment patterns are really a personality, a way of behaving that we take on in these relationship dynamics in order to get the love we want or just stop from getting hurt. So I want to talk about a couple of those intermittent reward patterns that are so addictive. But if at any time you want more information about that, just go over to HeidiRain.com and I've created it just for you, a personality test that shows you which of these codependent patterns you could be enacting in your relationship. So if you want to do that, go take that test. It's, it's, it's unbelievably amazing. I actually surprised myself with my own test, which is kind of weird. And I came up with the damn thing when I took it, I was like, oh, it got me. And I thought I was going to be one pattern on this test for sure, but I got another one and it's actually more accurate. So Amen and hallelujah to accuracy. Anywho, one of the most, anywho, and one of the most addictive patterns is that of what's the clinger and the withholder. And these two are two of these patterns that I describe in my work, attachment personality patterns. The withholder is a person that wants to be close to somebody, wants to be connected, wants to be in a relationship, but ultimately fears rejection. So they really just keep people kind of at an arm's distance. They invite them in, but then they do these things to like create distance, invent fights after a great, wonderful time together, or invent reasons they don't like that person anymore. And then a clinger is a person that meets somebody and immediately just falls head over heels, right? For most people like, oh my God, you're my people, you're my person. And they project a fantasy of their envisioned knight on a white horse or damsel and just whatever they want to do. And they track that person and project a fantasy onto them and they're immediately hooked. Well, these two get to do this intermittent reward dance of addiction together, where sometimes when the clinger comes to withholder, they give them the love, they give them the attention. They give them the affection, they give them the affirmation, but other times they withhold it and they never quite know what they're going to get. And the clinger gets off on that, believe it or not, which they wouldn't think they would because they'd be like, why would anybody get off on that? That's that's dysfunctional. But that's the dysfunction train that we, dysfunction junction that we got on board with and we don't realize we're still riding that train in our current relationships. And the withholder gets to feel that intermittent reward too, because they get the closeness of the clinger without having to like put themselves out there at all. They don't have to risk anything because the clinger projects a fantasy onto them. So they're like, oh, I don't have to, I don't have to do anything at all. And you're going to love me. Right. But then they get to be safe enough where they can pull away, but then come back in and then pull away. And so they do that dance forever. One of the most addictive dynamics though, is this next one I want to talk about, which is the dynamic of the fixer victim. This is intermittent reward 2.0. So a fixer personality pattern rose up in a dynamic where it's probably addicted or dysfunctional. And they were the kid that was like nine going on 40. 
they were the one in the household that was super responsible. You know, they, they um, made sure everybody else was okay all the time. They really prevented bad things from happening a lot or fixed the bad things that would happen and got really a lot of self-esteem from that. Really good feelings about who they are and what they're able to do in the world. And so they got a false sense of control is what they got, that they actually can be in charge. And they got love that way. Maybe they played therapist to the parent that was sick or struggling or divorcing or hurting. And, and they, they carried that, even though it was a wonderful thing in their childhood because it helped them survive. It's not so wonderful now because what they're attracting is broken people who need a rescue job. Right. So you're getting into these relationships with people that are victims because a victim needs a hero and a hero needs a victim. A fixer needs a victim. And so here's what happens. A victim is like hopeful when they meet the fixer. You are going to be the one that fixes me. You're going to be the one that helps me and sees me and does the whole thing. The reality is the victim isn't prepared to make any of those changes at all. They just want to project their failings onto you. And so there's an intermittent reward sometimes though, because when a fixer gives a victim advice, sometimes they take it a tiny bit, 10th of the advice you give them. You see glimmers of hope in the person. You see, especially if they're addicted, right? You're with an alcoholic or an addict or, or a porn addiction or sex, whatever. And you see them apologize for the behavior or you see them, you know, start to get on track again. So you have an intermittent reward. Oh my God, there's hope. There's hope. There's hope. Yay. They're getting better. They're getting better. Then all of a sudden they fall off track again. And so this is such an addictive dance because you never know as a fixer, when you're going to pull that slot machine down and it's going to work and you're going to hit the jackpot and they're going to be better and you're going to live happily even closer. You know, but the truth is these dynamics never really end up fulfilling us ever because they're based on a lie that inconsistency is what you really deserve. You know, intermittent reward is an inconsistent relationship. You never know from one minute to the next, are you on top of the world or in the pit of hell? You don't know if you're in love or ending it and you're back and forth all the time. And so much of our work at the Codependency Institute and our semi-private coaching containers is about helping you, number one, realize where that desire for that intermittent reward or inconsistency originated and how to uproot it once and for all and reinstall a new program in you that tells you and you believe it that the least of what you deserve is a consistent dynamic, is, is something that's stable and secure, right? That's the bare minimum is something that's predictable, right? <laughs> I mean, but we don't see it that way because we as kids that grew up in that dynamic kind of got addicted to chaos. We get addicted to that. We think normal's boring. We think, oh my God, if I get into a relationship that I can predict it, I don't want that one. I don't want the one. But you know, those are some of the most fulfilling dynamics on the planet, because let's think about it. If you were a child and you could have your druthers and you could pick what you wanted and you hadn't been addicted to chaos or exposed to any of this kind of dysfunction, would you as a child want something that was inconsistent and unpredictable? Or would you want something you knew you could count on all the time and be secure in that? Every child is going to pick, I want to know what mommy's going to do from one minute to the next. I want to know daddy's still going to be here tomorrow. Every kid would pick that. And the inner kid in you would pick it all day too. 
but you don't realize that because your trauma bonded to the inconsistency and the feelings you're after aren't excitement. It's abandonment and rejection and the other trauma bonds that you got so used to when you were a kid and the inconsistent pull down of the lever would sometimes strike it rich and other times leave you emotionally and psychologically bankrupt. I know this is a big concept to think about. It's just really the beginning. I'm not going to make this a long one today because I feel like this is like a bite-sized, you know, sometimes when we have food and we can have like a lot of things that don't give nourishment, we can have like a ton of M&Ms and there's never enough M&Ms. And the reason you can never have enough M&Ms is because you can't have enough of what you don't really want. But if you have one like protein packed, delicious thing, that's oatmeal in it, that's satiating, you're full. And you can let it digest and marinate. And that's the kind of information I want to bring to you is like a bite-sized concept today so that you can let that digest and simmer and fulfill you. And just look at your relationships today and wonder at work, in your business, in your family, how many relationships can you point out that are like pulling a lever? How many? Let's just start there because awareness is the first step. Now, if you want to take the second step and go all the way with me, I'd love to have you in one of my semi-private group containers. You can go over to HeidiRain.com and do two things. Take the personality assessment over there and see which pattern you're probably enacting in your relationships. And you can look over at what we have to offer there, which supports you in all your dysfunctional relationship needs. <laughs> okay. We're like dysfunction junction. We're the one stop place because we're all a little fucked, right? We all have something that we're dealing with. And I want to be the place that you come to be sane and safe and get the strategy you need to deal with the things you're dealing with one conversation at a time. I love you. Take excellent care of yourself. And if this is beneficial for you and you know somebody else could benefit from it, would you share it? Because Lord knows. We could use all the help in the world, helping as many people as we can. I love you. Take excellent care. I'll see you really soon.